Hello friends, I'm your host, Chris Thrill. I'm a former Royal Marines Commando. I've adventured for better and sometimes worse across 80 countries on all seven continents. Welcome to the Bought the T-Shirt Podcast. Hello friends, so wow, have I got a guest for you. I thought I was mental. Let's get into it. Boom. Ali, how are you, my dear? So tired. <laughs> I'm tired. I just got back from my holidays. Yes. And you went to the Philippines. I did go to my first like proper big girl holiday for like since COVID. Yes. So yeah, so, yeah that was nice. Um, and fi- yeah. Philippines, quite an unusual destination for a sort of first first holiday. Um I mean, I went to the Philippines, but I sort of went there because it's one of these places you hear about. And I'd been to shitloads of other places. So I thought it was about time to go to the Philippines. Um, but- <laughs> yeah, see, I, I've done like all a lot of traveling I've done has been running. So it's been like going run across or go and do that country or go and like, do this, do that. And so this was like, where do I want to go where I can actually just like switch off for three weeks? And originally it was Thailand, but I've been to Thailand twice. And I was like, fuck that. I, I might as well go. Uh, let's go to the Philippines for a week but then I was like let's just go for three weeks so we went for three weeks and it wasn't it wasn't long enough because it's it there's like seven literally seven thousand islands make up seven thousand islands so you're never going to get around them all are you you're just not and I think I managed about four but um it was incredible I loved it it's the only thing absolute hammer blow this is of how badly messing with it because it was just I'm trying not to swear too much yes shit show of plastic everywhere yeah I went every bit of sea We'll we'll come back and talk about that. I just wanna I just wanna say friend so friends at home, Ali, incredible human being, a bit like myself, we've been through the mill, folks. Um we've come out the other side and we've learnt a few things. And so this podcast is just about talking about the muck and brass of life. Like why do we battle the booze? Why is it a lot of people have a booze problem probably won't admit it? Why is it we're gonna have a dry January that it's only why is it we only stop poisoning ourselves for like one month a year? That is a bit mental. But um, why is it we make such a massive fuss about it? If it wasn't that hard, we wouldn't make a massive fuss about it, would we? If we what weren't we a, na- a nation of drunkards, then exactly. it wouldn't be an issue, would it? Um, no. So I want to talk about, we're going to talk about resilience, folks. How do you build your dream life? I'm not talking, you know, nonsense here. Everybody should wake up in paradise every day because, hey, look, Ali, I'm going to plug my book before yours, because it's a state of mind. Oh, dun, dun, God, dun. here we go. <laughs> here we go. I could have just, actually, I could have just gone like that, couldn't I? Um, oh, have you written a book? I've <laughs> six books you've written. <laughs> yes. No, I won't mention my book. Well, I mean, maybe I will. But no, um, it's, it's serious. It, it, There's so many people are unhappy or struggling and like we get it i just want to say to anyone right from the start that is part of the journey you your paradise is here waiting for you you can't get to it unless you have the struggles because you need to learn how to get through the door and those struggles teach you so um we've got gary here in the chat he seems a bit upset says i hate my life um i'll get I'll get the chat up. And uh, Gary, we've all been there, mate. You know, I wouldn't, I don't think I've ever would say I've hated my li- life. Ali, would you, would you 
say that? Uh, do you know what I think is really important to remember? Is that happiness myth? It's a myth, like being able, like drinking. It's a perpetual myth that we are sold that there is this goal, end goal of happiness we can get to, and it's there so that people can sell you books and so they can sell you therapy, so they can sell you pills, and so they can sell you cars. And so that all you need to do, right, is walk through the section of a and look at what they're selling, like a digital perfume, makeup, booze. Fags. All these things are going to make you better and make you happier and more attractive and make you happy, right? Same with Christmas. Yes. This will make you happy. Happy has four fucking myths about happiness, right? One is that it's the natural state of human's absolute fear is the natural state. Number two is if you're not happy, you're defective in some way, which is bollocks. Not people are not that happiness is not the natural state of human being. Fear is. Uh, number three, to create a better life, you need to get rid of negative feelings. That's bollocks as well, because you need the negative to yourself and also to balance out feelings, bad feelings. And number four is that you should be able to control how you feel. Like, you can't control how you feel, but you can control how you feel, right? So I think this this can get to a point where you promise is a fallacy. And I think it's saying, let's have a look at what's going on right now. And if you are, if you hate what's going on right now, with Gary, let's look at why you hate it. Let's look at why you hate it, what the re- response is supposed to the reaction to that, and what's more helpful and what is un. Because I think it's a really dangerous game to play to say, if you will be happy, that's what my book's about. Hey, look, here's my book, right? That's the whole thing about my book. People said to me, if you start running, you'll be better. You won't, you, your life will get better. You won't be depressed, happier, running will save you. It doesn't save you. It's therapy, neither just getting married to the love of your life, just moving to the Philippines or getting a dog. You have to save yourself. I think that's the thing. Understand. Fucking own, own your shit. Like, own your. And when you start with that acceptance, then you can start to move. When but you the say other bit of acceptance is life is hard. It's fifty percent shit. Life is fifty. It is. That is how it is. Yes. So it's a. It's when I say to people, spiritual battle. It's it's a challenge. You know, you gotta you gotta you gotta do you gotta do the things. Uh-huh. Um, you can't just sit watching videos and then wonder why 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 you know why it's not what. Not working. No, you. and you can't just read a book and wonder why it's not working. You can't just go to therapy and wonder why it's not working. Do the work. If you're not doing the work, fucking day, like me and you understand what the work is, you have to do it every day, you are not going to get a result. And I think there is a real instant gratification thing that goes on in society nowadays where people think, if I do this, this is, but it's, that's not, it's like going to a French for an hour and then expecting to be fluent in French. You have to practice the French every day with French people. To get better at French, right? If you stop speaking French, you'll forget how to speak French. And it's the same with this going, I'd say, I'd say contentment with life, with your life, contentment or fulfillment. You've got to practice every day, whether that's gratitude, whether it's changing your lifestyle, whether it's giving up booze, whether it's accepting you've got a problem with addiction. You can do that. You can do it every day. You will get to the okay? Yes. And um, in this media world of clicking and scrolling, it's all too easy to get swept up in, in constantly seek, seeking for other people to fix your life for you. And at the end of the day, you and I both know you got to, whatever your thing is, folks. Ali and I like running. I say to people, if you can't run, bloody walk. If you're in a wheelchair, you can wheel. But action, I found, creates action. But action creates motivation. People think it's the other way around. They think the motivation creates action, but it doesn't. Action creates that motivation to mm. like, do 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 better i don't even know if it's better but it's about you know if you look at the ideas around success or even happiness what is it what is your definition of being happy you know like what is your definition of being successful it's not doesn't have to be what everybody else is and my definition of success is being able to sit in front of my dog at the end of the day 
give her a little stroke on the head. You know, have I made a difference in someone's life today? The answer is yes. Fucking banging. It's not about how much money I've got in the bank or what car's in. I don't give a fuck about that. Or I'm married or whatever. That's 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 not for me. It's whether I feel like I am fulfilled inside. And I think that with Gary, he needs it'd be really helpful for him to go into this. Why is it that? What is it he hates? Write a fucking note. get a note. Write things down. Journal. All those things. What um, I've just been showing um. Your Instagram, it's it, you're getting quite some traction. My, I found Inst- I found the whole media thing funny. I think I sent you earlier, Ali. I don't try and hit any algorithm, so you know I'm a military guy, or I did a bit of time in the military, but I don't just want to do military shit. I hate, I hate war. I think it's all a nonsense. I think it serves the, you know, the power elite, and that's it. Um, I'm, I love running, but I don't just want to like have an Instagram about running. <laughs> Um, I try and do motivational videos every day. Just when I'm out on my run, I do a little like, right, legends, you know, today, have a think what you're grateful for because that's where it starts. If you're grateful for life, there you go. That's your reason for living, isn't it? <laughs> mm-hmm. And, and you know, we have all of us always had like a reason for living. But when you think, hang on, do I want to be here? Well, yeah, because it's bloody amazing, this life. And if you think about it, the chances of actually coming into this body and these molecules or whatever is like probably trillions upon trillions to one and then to come down through the ancestors through whatever whatever we're going to put a figure i have got no clue but they say 4.5 billion years since the earth formed and that it created chris what do i want to do do i want to be grateful for that or unhappy about it i think gratitude (laughs) so i think that in order to feel that gratitude you have to hit the bottom you have to know what it's like to hit the bottom, which is really unfortunate. But you have to know what it's like because otherwise you can't. Because when I fucking hit forward, I hit, wouldn't die. I don't want to be. Yes. I was like that for a long time. And that's okay. It's feel like that. That you're freak. If you're ill, it's 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 okay. Because if you say that, peek out, and they're like, "Get the men in white coats." You've got something wrong with you. And it's like it's okay to feel like that, to say it, and then to work on it, and then to work on it. That's when you can get the help that you need to like realize that that gratitude is a really really important thing to have. And there are still days now where I'm like, I've just had an interesting thought about topping myself. But I don't do it. I just recognise the thoughts there and that's okay. And that thought alone. But I think it's, you know, it's really, it's uh, not easier. It makes more sense people like me and you who've seen the abyss. Be really grateful for that sunrise. This morning it was dark up and I'm used to now getting up at half five and it being light because I've been in the Philippines. But instead of going, oh, fuck, this is shit. I'm like, oh, do you know what? It's great. I'm actually going to get to it. So that's really, really good. I'm excited about it. And it's a shame. So, you know, it's having those little those little bits if you accept the bad bits. So actually, it's a gift to have that I feel shit. It's a gift to really get into it. It's a gift to be able to like look that abyss in the eye because then it's really hard to tell people that haven't understood what they're going on. It's really hard for them to ever see past that I just don't want Um but I say this in the book, it's all right to feel like that. And that they, you know how people talk about the stigma of mental health is gone and you can talk about your mental health. You fucking can't. Because if you say to somebody, I want to kill myself, I've thought about driving my car into the central reservation four times today, they'll just they'll just look at you blankly and be like, oh my God, I can't deal with it. Because of that shame and that stigma, which is still there. Yes, yeah, sorry, I'm just taking a moment to take that in. Ali, I just meant to say, if you see me looking over there, I'm not, I'm not ignoring you. That's where all the comments are coming up. So I'm just choosing some some class ones and oh thank my God, you i can't even see what the comments what are they saying oh, about me Chris? What they um they're all saying you're awesome and um again spiritual battle is it doesn't matter what they say ali does it? it matters what we do with our lives 
Um, the songs we're putting out, peace, love, kindness, and empathy. We got, we don't explain ourselves. And that's to, the thing, right? No you one. know what you were just saying about Instagram. Mm. Why does it matter how many you have? Yes. Why, it, why does it matter? Why do you care? I think the point I was making is Instagram. Don't. It, I'm just curious. I'm I'm quite interested that you're doing a lot. It is a funny world where putting pictures of ourselves, which is something that I do because I'm a content creator. And it's kind of expected. And I never put pictures of my family. So it's always just me. So I can't do like I've got a wonderful friend called Matthew Pritchard um, mm-hmm. from the TV series Dirty Sanchez. And he's a massive ultra runner, legendary chef, tattoo artist, all all these wonderful. And he kind of includes all his friends and his family and he does videos and the, it is He's a class video editor as well. He does it all, I think, on his phone, I think he was telling me. And um, and I can see why he does well at Instagram. It's like he's letting you into his life all, yeah. all day long. I find if I get my phone out, my son's like, Dad, off your phone, please. And you met my son, Ali, he's eight years old. And when an eight-year-old's telling you, get off your it, you kind of have to listen because that's, that's divinity speaking to you, you know? Um, and... I don't know. It's kind of funny. There's a chap called Silverback Tarzan, and he's great. I follow on Instagram. He's a guy. He does not give up about anything. He's he's clearly in his sixties. He's got a body like literally like a gorilla. Like I mean, he's a muscle boaster. Not not steroids or nothing. Just naturally does all the callus calisthenics or whatever you call it. Mm-hmm. Um, he's always he'll walk down the street and he'll just go and hang off a lamppost sideways. It's funny as hell. When he does videos in a supermarket, right, don't buy that shit. That's shit. That's full of sugar. That's just chemicals. Right? And it, and it, and I love it. But I'd feel a bit of a wanker going, you know, taking my shirt off at every single opportunity, even though, and this is like one of the weird things about my life, Ali, I've still got the body now that I had when I was 19. I haven't well- even... The thing is, like, just going back to the Instagram thing, what don't, don't do it then. Like, it's what is it for? What are you doing? Like, you've got to look at, you've got to zoom out, and be like the wise observer in this. Don't do it because having twelve thousand Instagram followers doesn't mean any to anything. All I care about, the reason I started that account, which was started like seven years ago, eight years, because I was doing these ultra do that, and I'm like, no, you can, because I'm at the time I was an alcoholic. I didn't say to, I'm an alcoholic because I didn't admit it to myself. But I was like, you can. Don't say I'm a totally normal, and and I'm really enjoying it. And so the reason I started that account was to go. I go and do these runs. Then I was, and I just literally was what I was doing. And I was being very honest about it because I didn't care. I was like, I'm just showing other people that are interested, whether that's two, two million people, what I'm doing. And when I feel sad, I'm going to say I feel sad. And when I'm depressed, I'm going to say I'm depressed. And when it goes tits, I'm going to say it's gone. And here's my dog. And I don't, you know, that's why I started it. People were interested because I traveled. So the job I was doing is like, world first, one frozen lakes, and deserts and all that stuff. And the more honest I was about my mental health, the more people, but I've never cared about followers. I'm not followers I have. I mean, in if my work, the work I do as a coach, the work I do writing the book, as a speaker and a podcaster, content creator, whether that helping himself, but you know what? I think I'm with alcohol. Do you know what? I know what? I'm really, really to say it, but Ali's had a verbal and now I've got what I need. That's all I care about. I do care about knowing I don't make money out of it. I everything I've done and achieved in my life has nothing to do with my amount of Instagram followers and everything what I've created in brain. And I just think it's something that people are like, a lot of people are like, how'd you do that? And I'm like, I don't know. And I don't care. <laughs> I literally don't care. Mm. There are so many people that have got 
hundreds of thousands of followers who are talking absolute garbage. Absolute garbage. They're lying. They're selling things that people don't need. They're, they're basically making money off activities. And I ju- it's just disgusting. I hate it. If I didn't have to go and put my stuff on there because of coaching, that's where I get the majority of my clients from, or to promote the book, to promote the talk, promote one, all the stuff I'm doing, I wouldn't use it. But I have my own little bubble of Instagram. I stick in it. And anyone that annoys me, I unfollow and never look at again. But I feel like you have to be in the playground in order to be able to call out the bullies. That's why I, why I think it's sort of stay on there. Because I can say, that person, that person, that person says that they're this. I know. Because the last time I saw them, they were off their face smoking a fag. Even though they said put themselves out as a pinnacle of like, all like health. Like, it's just, it's just... A one, I always say Instagram is 1%. It's a 1% of the iceberg you see. You do not see the 9% of the iceberg. Are you saying don't that? Don't know what's going on. Are you saying that ultra runners might smoke a fag? I know about five ultra runners <laughs> that smoke fags that would never put a photo of themselves smoking a fag on the front of their book, which is what I did. Because I was like, at the, that point the photos were taken, I've been smoking fags for 28 years. Yes. I only gave up, like, gave up four months ago and I gave up because I was like, I'm really not very good at getting up mountains and I need to get quicker at getting up them. The last thing I need to give up now is the cigarettes. But I was sober for two years before I attempted the fags. because so I was like, I can't put too much pressure on myself. And even now, I'm like, fucking, if one thing has to go, it'll be back on the fags rather than back on the booze. But at the moment, I'm not on the fags. A minor miracle. So It's a miracle. Tell me then, because... The- it, uh, don't want to tread on anyone's toes here, but like, I don't know. I, I'm always, Ali, been fiercely independent. Like, you know, they, what was it? Um, love everyone, listen to a few, but always paddle your own canoe. Mm-hmm. And for that reason, I stayed away from any self-help or help groups. I've stayed away from doctors, nurses, everything you see. I've worked out myself or I've read a book on it. Um, what am I saying? It is a funny world we live in. I I hate this. I, I don't hate. It's not. It's not the right word. But we, when it comes to addiction, you get very segregated thinking. So I just flashed up a picture of you smoking, <laughs> smoking, me smoking, um, and it's what am I saying? Like I never gave up nothing, Ali. I think you know that. I think people have bought into that Hollywood tale that you know person has problem. Crashes badly, gets up, puts problem behind them, go, goes on. You, you know, <laughs> such a load of shit. You know that kind of like one drink is too many, tens never, and all. Like I get that, and what I'd say to anyone is, if you're going to lose your wife and your kids and kill yourself, yes, get into a group. Absolutely, you know, if if that if it works for you, great. I was a bit, little bit different, I, because I was quite lucky. The majority of my f- screwing around was was i was single so it didn't really and i and i couldn't care less about well i mean i wouldn't say i was i couldn't say i couldn't care less but i've i've never been that scared of anything ali so you know i mean i i why did you stop drinking oh what a good question so first off i'd say i might still have a pint if i so choose i might even get hammered if if that's but i choose not to because if I nailed nailed it down to two main reasons. First of all, I'm a role model now. Well, not just for our lovely friends out there. I hope I, you know, do a bit for people. But I'm a father. And when you bring someone into this world, you've you got to put your money where your mouth is and stop being a knob, you know, because if you keep up that behavior, all you're doing is putting you're 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 putting it onto your kids and 
someone once said to me, they say, Chris, just imagine your little lad when he's when you're dead and he's an adult and he's wandering down the street with a bottle in his hand, bouncing off the walls. Is, mm. is that the legacy you want to leave behind? And I'll tell you what, what a bloody awakener that was. That's that. The second reason, Ali, is um, when I say I wake up every day in paradise, I'm not being a dick. I, I do. I absolutely do. I'm not saying I don't like you very well pointed out. Of course, there's challenges. Like, mm-hmm. like life isn't life isn't always the way you want it to be. No. But even when them challenges are coming at me, it's like I'm a rower on an ocean and there's some big old waves coming in. But do you know what? I chose to be rowing that ocean, and I'm. And blo- that's it. That's the, that's the thing, right? It's that waking up in the morning, and going everything. It, and you, and I think until you've hit the bottom of the barrel, that's really because I was an alcoholic for twenty odd years, twenty eight years maybe, and I knew I was ill, but I denied and denied and denied and denied. And other people told me, like, we're like, I'm worried about you, this, that, the other. And I'm like, do you know what? I'm sorry, so sorry, but I was like, I'm fine. You don't understand. And I have never had anyone else. I've never had the other person thing. I've never had because I've never had. I was married for a while, but that was really, that's in the book. Um, and and I never had the kids. And I, I think you honestly have to do this stuff for yourself. So where, where it's great to be like, I'm a wrong, I want to set the best barrier I can. For a lot of people, that doesn't stop them either because it's addiction. And addiction, by its very nature, is something that it doesn't really matter who's telling you or what's going on. Keep doing it. One of the things that annoys me is when people say, oh, you've just swapped one addiction for another. So like you're addicted to running. You're not addicted to running because with alcohol or drugs, you will literally do anything to get alcohol or drugs anything doesn't matter how ill you how little money you've got or who's standing in your way you'll do anything whereas with running running's actually quite hard yeah. if you're injured you'll stop running if you're injured you'll stop but if you're injured with that booze you won't stop you won't stop because you're an addict it's totally different behavior like addiction is ritualized comfort same as running is but with addiction it's it, a lot of the time it's out of your control and it's only when you decide to take the control back you can stop it and that but that what you just said about what you're waking up in your own paradise, even though I have depression, even though I have shit that goes on, even though I get super sad, you're right. Because every day I wake up sober, I'm like, this is, I can deal with this. Whatever it is, I can deal with it. And because I'm being really honest, I'm sharp and I can see really fucking clearly. And, you know, it. and I, when I got super sick, so I was, it was two and a half years ago I stopped drinking when I hit the bottom of the barrel, scraped my face all over the floor, was like, this is, I'm going to just, um, I defined my values. One of the things I did when I came, I had to go see a psychiatrist and I, and I, he was like, what are your values? And I'm like, I don't know. So I defined my values there and then as kindness and everything I do points back to those values. People I work with, podcasts I go on, the brands I support, the people I hang out with, the books I read, the holidays I go on, all of it. And that's why I stopped smoking because I'm like, I need, to stop smoking, to have, because I want to be the best runner I can be and I know it's stopping me. I'm not ashamed of it. I, I don't have no problem with like, but I know that it's actually physically harming me. So I can't honestly say to people, I'm doing the very best I can in this race if I'm not actually looking yeah. after my own health. Yeah. That's why I stopped. That's the only reason. And I was like, I'm, I think I'm safe now to try and not do this as well as not do the booze. It was just too much at the same time. Having said that, I've got, there's a really great book by a woman called Laura McEwen called We Are The Lucky List. And she's just written a new book called Push Off From Here. And in that book, it talks about how being an addict is like living on the edge of a canyon. 
like you feel more alive than other people, but also closer to death because you live on this edge. And every morning when you wake up and you wake up in paradise, you open this tent, see the edge of the and you're like, am I going to fall in today? I might fall in today. I'm going to choose not to fall in today, but I might. And it's that, that's the difference, I think. It's like just constant awareness, which is quite exhausting of what could happen. And, yes. and, and for me, what could will be a disaster. So there is no ever having, there is no ever having one cigarette. There's, there's none of that. It's like totally non-negotiable. It's not in line with my values. And um, that was quite long. Sorry, that was quite No, that's, that's a great point. To finish what you were asking me, what, what you know, why do I choose not to drink? It, mm. There's another part of it. First of all is the role model thing. But the other part, Ali, is, you know, I really got into, gosh, I'm just going to call it spirituality, and I know that sounds knobby. What no, what, what essentially I rather call it is alchemy, the study mm-hmm. of the chemicals in the brain from the endocrine glands, your serotonin, your DMT, um, your cortisol, your adrenaline, your dopamine. And I became fascinated with the fact that I follow a YouTube channel, a friend of mine called John St. Julian, who enlightened to the fact that there's a different life out there that some people live that I wasn't living. A bit like that thing when you go to a rave and you're all off your heads and having a boogie and like all the rest of society don't even know it's going on and you're mm-hmm. you're, you're kind of like in the club. It's like that. It's just it's a healthy rave and it's not a secret. It's open, available to anyone. And I got in. I got into it, Ali, and I started to decode script scripture. So n- friends at home, nothing to do with religion. Absolutely, literally put that out of your head. Not talking churches, God, Jesus, da, 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 although there's some, some relationships. Talking about how for thousands of years, people have recognized if you live in a certain way, your glands produce certain chemicals and they lift you to a place called paradise. Um, or mi- milk and honey, serotonin and D- DMT. And once I got into this alley, I've I I'm quite a extreme person. If I get if I got into matchbook collecting tomorrow or boxer mat, I you'd come round my house. I'd suddenly have like seven thousand boxes of matches in 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 three days. <laughs> I'm, mm. I'm I'm just you're like my friend Alan. <laughs> yes. You're like my friend Alan. Yes, <laughs> he's like that. When I I came last in my first ever triathlon. So I said, right, I'm going to do a quadruple Ironman in four in, in, there you go. in four weeks t- four weeks time, right? I'm just uh, yeah. Anyway, so it's the same thing with. I thought, do you know what? I could sit in a pub, and I've done it twice lately. I've sat in a pub with my mates. They're all like, you know, on the seventh or eighth pint, and I'm there completely sober. Um, at worst, I bummed a cigarette off someone just just to, you know have my little bit of badness and that was it it was just one rolly that that i've done that twice if oh, not can, can you do that can you just have fun? yeah 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 oh, but, but yeah but here's the thing and you've got to understand when the reward becomes so big remember i live in paradise i don't i'm not leaving it mm-hmm. you know i'm i'm not leaving <laughs> so Sorry, I don't want to make this about me, but to, to, to cut a long story short, I thought, do you know what, Chris? Rather than master the drugs and the alcohol, which you've done really well, and you've lost a lot of friends through it, like literally I've lost friends in my company that I've watched. Were they your friends? Yeah, my best mate do- drowned when we took LSD one time. Oh, I thought you meant you just people just left. 
Oh, no, no, no. I'm, I'm, I'm like, yeah, cool. yeah, yeah. You can go. You're not welcome to the party anyway. Yeah, no, I mean, I'm just saying that, you know, one of my best, I'm talking best friends now that I knew for years and years. We partied together. One, one drowned when we took LSD. One, one drank himself uh, t- to death. And in one night, his body just went boom and kaput and gave up. It was horrible to see. My mate Rob drank himself to death and you got to watch all that. It, the body giving up. It's, it's, I thought, do you know what, Chris, you've done all that to death. Why don't you try and master the enlightenment stuff? Why don't you just mm-hmm. use it, make it your hobby? And that's what I did, Ali, and that's what it's become. And I'm, I'm not like obsessed with it like I have. I, because I think if you become obsessed with anything, you've lost the whole point of it. Yeah. Um, it's like this my, is your leisure time. You should be enjoying things rather than being obsessed with yeah. I say that to my clients all the time. Like, why are you so stressed out about this race? It's your leisure time. This is to be enjoyed, not to be like a stressor. Yeah. And so, um, sorry, I'm a bit spun out. I've got some Ian's trying to enter the waiting room and we, we, we just, Ian, if you're watching. Who's Ian? <laughs> I think it's my next podcast. It's a, fra- it's a, a lovely chap. Ian has done a few podcasts with me. But um, yes, so, so there you go. That, that, it, it's, you know, it's like when you've driven a Ferrari, do you want to go back and drive a Mini? Well, Paradise is the Ferrari, drinking and 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 the depression that comes of it, and the come down, and 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 the not feeling yourself for three days, and the making a dick of yourself, the 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 shoving down like free kebabs, the the, the, the and I'm not knocking that. If anyone wants to live that, I, if you're happy, do it. I did it for thirty five years. I was off my head. But every- why did you? Why were you doing it? Right. Well, this is what I think we should come on to. to. So. I had I had your stereotypical like not nice childhood. Now I mean not not all of it was bad, but I, there was some stuff that went on there, Ali, that was pretty dark. I I think when you look at people that are subject to addictive patterns, unresolved childhood trauma is a major driver. Not not for everybody, um, and I think probably looking back. I never quite felt myself. I always had sort of probably like an underlying anxiety, uncomfortableness, even though I didn't know it. I joined the Marine. I mean, I passed out the toughest military course in the world, for Christ's sake. I didn't go, hey, guys, I'm I'm, I'm a little bit different to you. I, you just don't know it. But when I look yeah. back, you know, when I look back, I started self-medicating with coffee, believe it or not, when I was 10. Run coffee. Yeah. That came way later for me. The coffee's come later for me. I was running home from school to put the kettle on to make an instant coffee, even though I didn't know why, Ali. And of course, it mm. was because it was changing my brain state. Mm. Then, then nine percent homebrew by the time I was like thirteen, um, and then you know, then the rest is uh, the rest is history. And um, yeah, thirty-five years later, you look back and go, ah, hang on, I didn't need to do any of that stuff. The but, thing is, you did need to do it. It was ritualized comfort. You did need to do it because you didn't understand what was going on in other way of doing it. That's yes. why it's, there's no shame in it. There is no shame. Like uh, it, addiction, there's it, it, shame horrific, and that's where it breeds. Do you but think like, so? People, because yeah, it is. It's a hundred percent. Like it's like there are so many people they have a problematic because alcohol is the easiest one to get. You get it everywhere. Plus, it's Christmas, so we all should be doing it because ding dong merrily on high, the most merry time of the year. Everybody have a drink. Oh, you didn't drink normally. Have a drink now. Oh, come on. You could just have one. It's Christmas. Have a drink. Everyone's having a drink. Fuck that. It is horrific how it's pushed us as normality. 
it's not it is not and when someone says to you you go in somewhere at christmas and you say no thank you i'll just have this they say why aren't you drinking whereas when you sit around the christmas table and you say no thank you i don't want any bread sauce they don't go why aren't you having any bread sauce i'll have a bit of bread sauce oh go on everyone's having bread sauce alcohol is the only thing that is pushed the only drug by other people because they don't understand why you won't have it because you not having it makes them feel uncomfortable about having it that's Mm. Because a lot of people have this relationship that they won't because they're ashamed. Because it's not good to be an addict. When I was in the Philippines uh, the last few weeks, I got loads of tattoos, loads. And uh, I was like, there's not a lot of people in not a lot of tattoo shops. I'm like, I wonder if there's a tattoo thing. And I spoke to a tattooist because I found a tattoo shop and I got a new tattoo. And he said, tattoo means addict and addicts are bad. And I'm like, right. (laughs) Now we're getting down to the nitty gritty. Addicts are bad people. Not bad people. We're people... And there's so many of us that are hidden from view because people on the school, you know, everywhere. Functioning acts are everywhere because we are trying to deal with something that we don't know. And for me, like you, it was, oh, you're not good, not enough, or you're too much this. And I found that if I drank, people liked me more. Men liked me more. They'd say around more because I'd have sex with them, so they'd like me more. And throughout my whole life, my whole career, I worked in youth for 12 years, uh, then coming into the running, I was never good enough. I'm not good enough at ultra running. I don't wince. I was never good enough in the music industry. I was told constantly that I was lucky to be there. So I drank because I couldn't cope. I didn't know what to do. And I thought the drinking made me more fun and then the person I needed to be, but it didn't. It just numbed it. And now the only thing that I know that I had a problem, stop. Like even that was, it was the last thing I stopped. I changed everything in my life to try and stop me being depressed with myself. Apart from not, Then I stopped drinking because I was like, I'm going to die otherwise. And now I, I can look back on it and go, I see what was going on there. And I can see it in other people. But it's not down to me to tell them what's going on. It's down to them to read my book. So I'm saying and go, maybe I should know about this. Whether it's me, whether it's a DM on Instagram, whether it's an email, whether it's whatever it is. You don't have to phone alcoholics. Or not. You don't have to go to alcoholics. You don't have to go to a meeting. You don't have to get a sponsor. I totally agree with you. I think that the, the alcoholism business is a business. They're not. They're, sorry, the stopping drinking business is a business. When people tell you, you should do this, you should do that, you cannot do this alone. I, like you, have done it alone. I've done it with a little bit of sport from friends and family, but I've done the whole thing by myself. Mm. I've never, I've been to two AA meetings. I was like, this, you're pulling God into me and I can't deal with it. So that's just not for me. I don't have a sponsor. I've got a couple of um, alky friends. My friend Alan, do you know Alan? The one, Alan Bateson. Bateson. No, no, I don't. He's fucking great. You'd love mm. him. But I don't have anyone close and I don't have any. It's all on me because I'm like, this is about me and it's my thing. My higher power is my dog. And my number one reason for being around is to offer comfort and help to other people. And be like, this is, oh, you're allowed an addict. You're allowed to be depressed. You're allowed to be, you are enough exactly as you are, whatever state you're in. That's Mm. absolutely perfect. See, I never use the word addict. Not, not, I worked a lot. I worked for three years in a, as a, well, I worked in a clinic for three years and, I've seen all the different sort of languages that people kind of use. What would you use then? Um, for me, it's just a uh, life experience. So I, I just think we got, for me personally, I don't want that negative connotation sort of. So the negative you know, connotation has got nothing to do with the word addict. It's got everything to do with people's judgment. Yes, the word yes, exactly. There's nothing wrong with the word addict. Language is new. All languages, right? If you are a gym addict, is that a bad thing? No. If you are a whatever addict, I don't know, like if you're addicted to giving money to charity, is that a bad thing? Nope. If you're addicted to crack cocaine, is that a bad thing? Yep. Because it's the it's the value judgment we put on the situation. So 
when people say, don't use this word, don't use that word, I'm always like, zoom out of it and make it. everything's neutral. All words are neutral. It's your judgment and your value judgment. There's nothing wrong being addicted. It's ritualized comforts. We are all, all the time. That is okay. We're addicted to eating. Like, it's okay. And I think it's taken the weight out of that stuff that helps people to talk about it. Like, take the weight out. Don't fudge it into something else. The weight out. Yeah. Yeah, I get it. I've, um, it's a difficult one. There's not not a lot of people kind of like get me on it, especially those that have been through the 12 step program, because a lot of the language attached to that is is quite stigmatic. Mm-hmm. 100% I totally it's agree just, with you. I want people to know you're, you're not an addict. You're a fucking legend. You just haven't realized it yet. An addict is a word other people use out of fear because they're scared at either your honesty or what you're going through. And a big part of, I think, if we're going to call it recovery, is positive self-image. And it's so hard for people when they're down on their luck, possibly going to lose their kids to social services, you know, had a 30-year experience of this bloody thing. And all they got in their mind is, I'm an addict. I'm an... And it's like, I've never said that about myself. People can call me skydiver, qualified pilot, ultra runner, world traveler, Antarctic explorer, best-selling author, wannabe good father. <laughs> There's a whole like, you know, uh, qualified youth worker. Mm-hmm. Except, you know, There's a whole range of things. Um, but don't you think it's a good thing for someone like me to go, I'm an addict? And have people go, that's fucking cool. Um, because you're a nice normal being. Because yeah. They're everywhere. We can't change language. You can't change it by yourself. You know, this is how people see it. So present yourself as this person and be fucking awesome about it. It's exactly the same thing. Yeah, you know? it's a fair it's point. Like, it's awesome about it. Of course, I'm in my entire life to look in 28 years I've had before. I'm probably never going to recover. That's okay as well. I'm just looking after myself. It's cool. It's fine. That's what I'm to do with this whole like Instagram thing. And it's like, you know, I've got no shame in it. I talk about a lot of stuff in that book, really, in inverted shame for society. But it's not shameful. It happened to me. And it's happened to millions of people all over the fucking world of time. Yeah. It's okay. Present yourself as awesome. Say, these are the things that are happening to me and have happened to me. And that's still okay. Like... I don't we're talking, think, Ali. We're talking think, two two different things, aren't we? What, like, yeah. I'm a hundred percent in agreement with you because I've walked the same journey as you. So, like, I I completely get it. I'm talking about the terminology that's used so freely in society, and all I'm trying to do is bring people around to thinking. Like, if your mother or your wife, husband, if they got cancer, and like I waltz around and said, "Hell, hi, Marge." I heard you're a cancer. Like, I'd expect you to, like, punch me out of that, your front door as fast as I came, <laughs> as I came in. <laughs> it's labeling people by an illness or a mental health condition. That's on it's, other people, though. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I, Ali, I, with you. So I get like, it. I get it. I'm agreeing with you. Yeah. I'm just trying to make people aware of how, like, sick we are as a society yeah. that we use these words about people a that have been battered from pillar to post for the most part since ch- or you know as bloody toddlers and b who who are the salt salt of the earth albeit you know it doesn't always we don't always behave like that when we're in the throes of addiction um and c are unwell 
mm-hmm. and yet it's perfectly fine to, to and I'm saying no with me fucking buck stops here folks I'm sorry the proudest thing in my life is that I experience addiction it's mm-hmm. given me everything it's given mm-hmm. me the perfect family it's given me every adventure I ever wanted it's given me a great podcast and I get to meet wonderful people like you Ali you know um, I just think that the language we adopt is so is so powerful and mm. and it all needs a bit of rethinking because I know you know what you mean and you know I know what I mean but it still fucking guts me that I've had psycho- top psychologists and they can, so Chris right he's an alcoholic I went, whoa, 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 let me just stop you no he's not he's a father I'm experiencing alcoholism yeah, yeah. he's a yeah. great person he's achieved this he's done that why you've just referred to your patient as they love to call them in like with respect to the the most challenging thing he's got going on in his that that psychologist went bloody hell Chris no one's ever put it like that so I said no they haven't because we you know society is society isn't it and um it, ne- it needs challenging it, it, mm. it's you know People say I'm clean. What do you mean clean? There's nothing dirty about having a mental health condition. What? What? No, what, 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 what? Why are we suggesting also, nothing dirty about alcohol? Alcohol is a sabotage. <laughs> so bizarre. Yes. So, so bizarre. Ali, can, can I just ask you then? And don't you don't have to even answer this if you don't want. Certainly, you'll give us. But I mean, I don't like talking about my childhood for two reasons. A, it's done and dusted, and I literally. I went on a plant ceremony once, and the one thing I took away from it, because it wasn't, wasn't a particularly pleasant experience, but the one thing I took away is I'm going to cut that intrusive memory away from my life now. It's, it's, I had one memory left that I, mm-hmm. u- I used as like my anchor to like what went on, mm-hmm. and I, I thought, fuck it, Chris. You're, you're a dad now. Cut that fucker. Cut it away, and that's what I did. It's trying to get in there now, and I'm literally holding it like, like there and um but but the other thing is 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 it makes it sound like you you regret having a tough childhood and the iron irony is even when it culminated in me homeless in my school uniform smoking a fag at like eight in the morning as all the other kids went off to school with their you know happy families (laughs) um i remember smoking that fag and thinking do you know what i wouldn't have my life any other way I don't want an easy life, and and it like I say, it's all worked out well. But yourself, do you have any kind of thoughts on the drivers behind your drinking? What in what way? Like, was it a child? You know, have you had? Did you have shit in childhood? Is it? Mm, was it? There's was, no poor me story. There's there's a there's you know the fact that I was uh, it's all in- mm. so um I when I was eleven, I came from quite a big family, mum and dad. Four of us. Um, when I was eleven, I passed the eleven plus, and that meant I went to girls' grammar school. I did not want to go, and um, my dad was like, "You're going," and I was like, "I don't want." To. Uh, I bought obviously half the most of the other girls that they would got in, and uh, I was bullied. I went on the first that first parents' eve. They said to my dad, "She's underage for reading." Fuck right. And I until that point and driving me, and that was the first time I'd not been. And it broke my heart, and then and I'll never. It was I was eleven, and um, and the whole as I was growing up, I was, I'm forty two, so I was growing up in the in sort of eighties. Alcohol was presented as all everywhere, all the time, as a fun, a fun thing. If you were having fun, or even the pub or at parties or whatever it was, there was always booze. It was always fun. So I started drinking when I was 13, 14 because it was available. And I was like, 
only little stubby beers. That's not like I was drinking straight vodka or whiskey. And when I was 16, my dad pissed off with somebody else, right? And lied to me about it. So that was the second instance where I was like, I'm not enough. He's left someone else because good enough, even though I've tried to be. And those were the things that drove my alcohol. Men do not think. So I slept with every bloke I could find. I got as pissed as I possibly could. I went to every nightclub I could. I went to the mute. And I basically had this terrible relationship with men where I tried to make myself enough by minimizing myself. Because I was constantly told I was too much or too little throughout my entire, all my careers, throughout everything I've ever done. Music industry is an arsehole to work in. Really all because they are like, you're lucky to, they're lucky to have you. But you believe them. Also, you're surrounded by enablers and you're surrounded by, you know, booze and drugs and everything. So you're like, it's normal. Every, 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 everything's normal. And if you can't handle it, there's something, you can't handle constantly poisoning yourself, having depression and anxiety, not thinking that you're good enough. There's something wrong with you. So like, that's where it all came from. And I never dealt with it, any of it. I never spoke about any of it. Because in the, the late 80s, early 90s, there was that whole, if you've got nothing nice to say, don't say anything at all. If you're from a big family, don't, don't, bring, don't bring the tone down. You know, there wasn't, there wasn't any of that. So I drove my whole life, like, I'm better when I, I can't deal with these feelings. So I'm just going to, all the time, for 20 odd years. My behaviour in some of those times was absolutely abhorrent. Absolutely abhorrent. Some of the stuff that went on was like, awful. And then I found running in inverted But did I stop drinking? No. Was I using running as another self-harm? Yes. Was I going, did I just go and run a few marathons? No, I didn't. I started running 100 mile ultras. I started running across countries. I started like, and then being like, you're not even good enough at this. You know, I was running pissed. I was running hungover. I was running without eating. I was, running didn't save me. Like running made it worse. And you can find lots of, enablers with him and, and you know there's a lot of socialness to be like everybody thought that i was the one they went for a drink with after a run but i went for a fucking drink. i drink on run like we're not short of beer marathons in this country um and i was just desperately desperately unhappy and i wasn't being me i was living in a vessel i was a vessel an empty fucking vessel that was just not living so i was going and doing these amazing things but i was just through them till i could get to the next drink how did it... the next drink would stop the voices and stop what's to stop me to shit you're a piece of shit which was... how did um what what was your moment? What 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 was your epiphany or what was your right? Hang on, we're going to change a few things here. Uh, I got to the point where I tried to take my own life a number of times, um, and I got to the point where I was like, "This yeah, I'd been in a relationship which I shouldn't have, uh, and I'd been and there's a lot of stuff relationship, gaslighting relationship, uh, basically being so isolated that, is that I just started is that an, to drink myself to death. Is that what you'd call a narcissistic? Is that that seems to be a big thing that people talk about at the moment? Um, I think there's a lot of danger in language. There's lots of like trendy ways of describing. Stuff. I just but this the relationship I was in. I was I was in a relationship with someone that was married to somebody else. You told me that. so. I was being told things, were, and uh, I was alone in a city that I just moved to with no friends, no family, no access. To, I was basically, in, and I got to the point where I was drinking what's one a day and nobody and uh this was just on top of 25 years abuse of alcohol on my part and i could feel myself sliding down and the suicidal ideation was getting more and more and every time i tried to do it something got in the way and i just kept pushing through this will be okay this will be okay and one day was like either i go and ask for help i die and i went and And when i asked for help really quickly and i ended up going back to my ex-boyfriend's house my ex-boyfriend's person my best friend my dog's dad 
he lived 300 walking into his house seeing my dog who had not had access to for about nine and feeling nothing and going to that state of anhedonia i don't know if you've ever been in that state of anhedonia where you feel nothing for no one you feel nothing for your children's state which precursors you don't feel and i was in that state and i you don't and i had this like could take moment talk about in the book and never feel like this sorry i mean and i'll never forget that because that was like you're gonna die you're gonna take your own life and that's horrible and terrifying and if you've never been in that situation good luck to you because once you have been in it and i'd never ever recommend anyone gets it because it's horrendous it becomes easier to go i'm gonna just take stock and do it anymore um and whenever i get tempted to be like i'm better now i can have one or or you know when i get angry or when i get because they obviously get triggered into like those old behaviors i just go back to that because i i cannot it scares the shit out of me so i've put in all these like boundaries in my life where i'm like i don't have access if i feel like i'm gonna feel like that again i grab someone i'm like i feel like i'm gonna feel like that again and and i can manage it but that's on me to have those things in place you know and to recognize that um because that was it that was really terrifying and all the things i've done like you crossing countries on foot being being self-sufficient in jungles jumping out of fucking airplanes jumping off bridges nothing i have ever done has frightened me as much as i frightened myself three days it was horrendous absolute rock bottom absolute barrels and then you've got to come back from it and the coming back from it is hard and it's everyday work you can't just look or go to therapy you have to do the work which is what i'm doing every let's talk about that then so what when you had this change about moment what did you decide in that moment, right, this is what I've got to do or this is what I don't do anymore? In that moment, I was like, you don't, you're never going to drink again now. And I was, it took me 10 weeks of being basically in the care of either my mum or my friend, but being in like adult lockdown in their house. You know, like, you're not going anywhere. You're not going to work. You're not going back home. You're being watched all the time. Um, the, I loved it. They weren't helping. And so I had, and I did private health. So I was very much like yourself. Ten weeks, like cold turkey. Then I started to move back into society. And in that ten weeks, I got a, I went to see a psychiatrist like five times. I paid for it because I was like, I some help. And we started working around acceptance and commitment therapy, which is something that I really think incredible therapy to try because it talks about accepting the stuff to control to become like, no point in saying don't have bad thoughts because you've already had the bad thought. It's already there. Think about that for more helpful. Utilize those more helpful. You can recognize, oh, I'm having a thought rather than this is a thing that's happening. So I'm a massive fan of reading and a massive fan of books and a massive fan of like educating yourself. And I did that and I read and read and read and made notes and read and made notes and read and read. And now I have like four, four books that literally sit next to me here that I'm like, these are my guidebooks. These are my Bible because they work for me. Can we, can around, we know what they are? They work around psychology. Yeah. So the first one is this one, The Happiness Trap, Ross Harris. That's the acceptance commitment book that I read, which is incredible. It's like a workbook. The second one is this one. Oh, my books. Brad Stolberg, Practice Groundedness, absolute legend. The third one is about... And then Brad's just, this is a hard, but I'm, and they're not airy fairy self-help books. They are fucking science where you're like, this is really interesting and this shit works. And all the coaching I do with my clients, the ultra coaching, is based around their brains and their minds rather than the miles they're running. But of course, they have to run loads of miles as well because you create everything with your mind. And if your mind is unhealthy and if your mind isn't a great place to be, and if you don't know how your mind is working or if it's blurred by, by any kind of drug, you're not working on a level that is empowering to yourself so you know that's that's how it's worked but i'm very very aware that there but for the grace of dog go i because it's work you have to do every day and it's really hard and i think you know 
one of the things I talk to my clients about is sitting with those feelings and not trying to make things go away or block them out. Sit with them and realize that thoughts are bastards. They're horrible. Their thought won't be action. So it's about how you respond and react. You're not the, and being able to zoom out of yourself and be like, I've no thought about this rather mm. than this is a fact. Because most, most of the time it's not a fact. Motivated bias, you know, cognitive bias, however you're skewed into thinking, past bias. I've got post-its all over my house that say things like your past has no effect on your future because your brain will try and predict the future based on your past. So it'll be like, well, this has happened before, so it's going to happen again. It's like, that's bollocks, absolute bollocks. But we think it all the time. And I think understanding that, how your brain works, why it's working like that, just helps you to go, I get this now. I understand what's going on. And all your brain is trying to do is to protect you. Addiction is protection. You know, it, your brain's trying to protect you from harm by saying, if you have this, if you drink this, eat this, smoke this, inject this, you won't feel this pain. Your brain's doing a great job. Brilliant job. Mm. There's nothing wrong with it. But it's about you going, I've noticed I'm thinking that this will stop this, but I know it will only stop it. So I know it will only stop it for 10 minutes. I know it's not a long-term solution. It's about like engaging your prefrontal or, or listening to the brain but being like, I don't need you. So all this is stuff that I work on all the time, every day. And the way I work on it myself and the way I test it on myself is I go and run miles or 200 miles. And when I get to the point where I'm like, I can't do it anymore. Right, now you've got it. Like, what can't you do? What are you thinking? What's more helpful? How are you going to overcome this? And testing it in those environments works because you're safe. And you can then go, right, this worked, this didn't work, and help other, and then help other people by saying, I know that everybody says you have to do it this way, but you don't have to do it anyway. You can do it your way because everyone's an individual, aren't they? So, yeah, that was quite long. Sorry about that. No, it's, it's absolutely great. It's why we got you on the show, Ali. Um, what uh, – so – in your day-to-day routine then, what, what when we say you got to do the work, and obviously the work in, encompasses a lot of stuff, doesn't it? So a bit, you know, do some reading, folks, is good. Um, are, do you have any routines in your day, like the way you start the day, meditation, go for a job, what, you know, what? So I'm so bad that I've got a worry brain where I'm like thinking all the time. So, but I think meditation is a funny word because I think sit down with some bells and be quiet and like focus on your breath. I think it's to sit down with my dog, play ears for half an hour, be grateful for how soft and get into him and say about that. Need to go out for a run, get into him. So I don't have, I'm not a person that's ever had like a very strict routine. I find very strict routines quite strict. But every morning when I wake up, the first thing I do, that's the first thing I do. And let's face it, am I saying that to the dog? Or am I saying? It'd be mental if the dog said it to you. She says lots of things. We'll get pickle on a podcast (laughs) then. Everybody wants pickle on a podcast. (laughs) But um, so everyone when I wake up, I'm grateful to having dog or grateful for exactly where I am. And I think that's that. And then I run five, six times a week. But you Do you think, Ali, that dogs or cats are so great because they give you the unconditional love that it'd be great if humans could give each other that? Absolutely a hundred percent and i write about this in the book because i never believed that love was on i always thought that love was a bartering and to a point i still um and but with a dog it's there and i mean you get dogs you get dogs that are abused my dog was a street dog a bulgarian street dog she's got all sorts of things wrong with her but um and i've just gone back to the philippines where i've seen the dogs in the philippines and it was heartbreaking but they are street dogs that's how it how it works out um so, you know, you go up to a dog and it'll flint. There isn't that unconditional, there isn't an unconditional love there. But the thing is, the dog will always come back to you. And I think it's about judgment more than unconditional. It's about, 
doesn't judge me the way that humans might judge me or the way that other humans may have judged me or the way that I judge myself. She just loves my company. She absolutely, and that's, that's incredible. And she also, you know, has this like kindness of spirit that I think I've helped develop because I rescued her from certain death. So I think there's that, there's that other thing. Sometimes you don't want, I say this in the book, depressed people don't, or, or people that, in inverted commas, have a problematic relationship with certain uh, substance. They don't want you to save. They want you to listen, accept, and support. Yeah, people don't want you to fucking solve the problem because you can't. They want you to love, to accept, kind, not judgmental. The best thing someone can do when I say I feel like killing myself is be like, that's an interesting thought. How? And then you're like, oh, by driving my car into the wall. The thing about that is, and a lot of time my friends will discuss with me why that's not going to work. And the next thing you know, we're talking about Married at First Sight Australia and they're giving me a cuddle. That's all I want. I don't want them to go, oh my God, let's go get you some drugs and call the men in white coats. Or like, why? Why do you feel so sad? It's like, I fucking can't tell you why I feel so sad. I don't know. I'm ill. Like, but what I want to cuddle and someone to make me laugh, to be like, that's what, that's what, I, that's what any, anybody wants. Two ears, one mouth, in fat ratio. Yeah, when I was going through my, the worst of my shit, I was just like, fucking, would everyone leave me alone? Just leave me alone. Let me do what I want to do. Just, I, it wasn't even like I was massively harming anyone. I know it, well, it's not pleasant for families to go through, but just stop trying to change me. I need to go through this. I'm clearly in a learning period in my life, and this is the way it's, oh, that was it. I think, the, for me, the whole worst thing about the addictive experience is fucking other people. It really was. I, I know, and I don't, I'm, I'm not judging people or being horrible to people. They probably really cared. It's just the fact that there's no understanding or education about this sort of thing. It's always been brushed under the carpet in society. Like you say, people are, they think it's like they're ashamed. And for me, it's like the proudest thing in my life is my experiences. I know, Same. you know, I know that, um, I don't know, you know, I always wanted to be an odd person. I don't know if it's a bloke thing, but now I know that <laughs> I'm pretty tough. Um, you should and- read that Steve Magnus book. Yeah, so, oh gosh, that's another thing, Ali. There's so many bloody great books out there. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, I'll get, I'm going to write these down before before we say goodbye. He's great, old Steve. He's a track and field coach, an American track and field coach, and his take on toughness is so mm. brilliant because it's like we have this version, and I'm sure that you understand the military of like, SAS style toughness, absolute bollocks. Mm. When it comes down to what really makes people quiet rather than bravado, which mm. is like you're the loudest person. And, oh, um, I tell um, you now, you know, you'll be careful how I say this, but you know, vet, veterans and military, in one, they're the biggest cowards out there. I'm obsessed with SAS Who Dares Wins. I love it. Anyone that follows me on Instagram will know that I'm obsessed with it because I think it's fucking hilarious. You, you'd be a and, good uh, person to get on that. No, no, I applied and I'm too old. I'm old now. That's sad. And also, I can't do a press up. So I'm not sure that, and also, I'm not sure that um, Jason Fox would be up for me just trying to like kiss his face. And, uh, but, but they're um, all, um, they're all in their 50s and probably Billy's probably about 60 now. So. I, I mean, I know. And I'm like, this is ridiculous. Like, mm. Rudy, where are they going to Rudy Reese from? The man's a fucking model. Anyway, um, I'm obsessed with it. But, but this whole idea about, you know, how that's presented to the general public and they're like, oh, that's brutal. That's the Even racist, brutal. This is the hardest race in the UK. This is the toughest. You've got to be the bestest. This is the most difficultest. It's like, fucking shut up about all that stuff. It's it's 
it's toxic. It's cool. Like for some people, running a half marathon is going to be the hardest thing they ever, ever do. And that is brilliant. It's not about how hard or fast or difficult or cold or wet or whatever it is. It's about saying to people, you're enough just as you are. And that, you know, the experience of addiction is that even when someone is having that experience of addiction, saying to them, you are enough as you are. You are absolutely enough as you are. And we love you. And of course, we would like for you more well. But as you are now, we love you and we accept you are going to be okay to do. Is so much better than saying, I'm going to help you give up the booze. Because it can't be your decision to, to save someone. It mm. has to be the individual. That's why on the fuff cover of my book, on the chalkboard, running, you have to. Yeah, it reminds me when I give money to people on the street, there's always a proviso. So you're only allowed to spend this on drugs and alcohol, all right? <laughs> <laughs> Just have a good time. Have a great time. <laughs> Let's talk about our beautiful sport or one of the beautiful sports. So running then. Um, what's your? Do you have a favourite distance or are you kind of eclectic? Oh, I love a hundred miler. Mm. I love a hundred miler. Oh, I love it. Um, and uh, I love a multi-day. Do you like, I did, um, like you yeah, I did Landon, John O'Groats, but I did it a bit different. Uh, I did it 35. We did it on trail and roads. We did a totally different did Southwest Coast Park and up off his dike. Yeah, and I love that because I just like, what I love is the city of the multi-day. You know, it's like all you have to do is eat, sleep, run, eat, sleep, run. There's nothing else. It's the most one of the most primal things. And if you can put that into a bit of adventure into that too, like I used to go test routes for a big race called the UK. And we, so I'd be the first person to do them. So running across like Namibian deserts or jungle, frozen Mongolian lakes, putting that into it. And this is all you have to do is do this. Oh, God, I love that. And that's something I'm definitely going to get more back into the years. Um, but yeah, give me a multi-day. Or give me a hundred miler, and then this year I did my first two miler. And at the time, I was like, "This is the worst thing I've ever done." But in hindsight, that was that was an incredible. Experience. So I'm definitely going to be doing. And for people at home that are probably listening and thinking, "What you can run two hundred miles?" Can you tell us? You know what what's tough about it? What part does it get tough? How do you deal with it? What are you what kind of calories? Eat? What sort of food are you eating to get get you through it, Ali? Well, on a 200-miler. Mm. So I did the Wild Horn, the Brecon Beacons, from Chepstow through to Rossilli Head. Uh, and I had a crew to support me. It was an event, a Pegasus event. They do it every year. I had a crew to support me, and uh, I had no idea what was going to happen because I'd never done it before. I naively thought I was just 200-milers. So what, it would take me, like, what, 48 hours? 50? No, it took me 82 hours. And um, it was that was the... That was one of my defining ever races because that's where I had to pull all of this work I'd done out of the bag and be like, this is a mind over matter thing. Because obviously, yeah, you've got to be fit. But I was fit. I, I knew I could run that. But all sorts of weird stuff happened in the epilogue. The epilogue is about that race. And uh, I basically got to check the first checkpoint where I was going to go to sleep, two miles, and somebody told me that I was winning. And that completely messed with my brain. Because wow. I'm like, she said, you're winning. I heard, I expect you to. And I went into really bad old thought patterns to sleep. Then I got up and was like, oh my God, where's the next, where is this second place person? So it's like run away from them without having had sleep, eating properly, was just obsessed with this idea of winning and being the best. When actually that's not what I was there for. And I had to sit down and have a really calm conversation with myself. Be like, you need to stop this ruining this by turning it into something that it never was at the start. And I managed to turn it around twice and get to the end of that race and finish it. And, um, and, that was a real moment, like a real, you thought you were, this was over for you at this race and it, you've managed to, and you've done it on your own. And yeah, there's a lot of 
absolute stuff that there's night through and Kirsty talked about that a lot. Is that, the, hall- is that is, the hallucinating? Yeah. 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 My hallucinating horrific. I had about 90 minutes sleep by the time I got to night three hours because I was crying and there was bins running around and robots stabbing babies. And- How do you know it wasn't actually going on? Because my pacer was with the Julia, people's dad. He was like in front of me and I'd been crying for her, just sobbing as I was like following it. And then I was like, I can't do it anymore. There's big robot stabbing babies. And I was like, there's a bin. And I was like literally jumping out of my skin at this imaginary bin. And the next, I had three hours sleep. I got up and I was like, right, I'm going to show you where the bins were, Julius. He's like, there are no bins. I'm like, no, there were bins. I know they weren't moving. But there were bins and I went back to where these bins were and there were no goddamn bins. But I was like so obsessed with the idea that these bins had been running around. I was like, there must have been a bin. There wasn't. Um, but yeah, I loved it. It was incredible. And I think that I like crossing countries. I like going from A to B. I like doing a big old, like looking at a map and going, oh, I ran across that. Mm-hmm. Like, I love that. I find it really. And, and now having the gratitude I have for being alive and being able to think clearly like being outside is my absolute jam. Like I just want to be outside at the time. And so the longer I can spend outside, the better, even if like three behaviour starts happening. Friends at home, can I just say um, how wonderful it is uh, to have so many people watching? Could we get some likes, friends? If you can like and subscribe to the channel, please make sure you're still subscribed because for some reason YouTube unsubscribes loads of people from our channel. Um, yes. What about... Um, Marathon disablers, is that something you might con- consider? It, the thing about Mar- MDS, right? I believe Marathon disabler is the London Marathon 40 day run. Mm. So it's too expensive, too many people do it. It's suffering for suffering's sake. It's, like the, it's not that beautiful, everyone. I'm not interested. So if someone paid for me to go and do it, I'd do it. But otherwise, I know so many people that have done it. There's so much about it. I'm much doing people don't do. Like I've got a lot of world, a lot of world firsts in my name, and I'm like, of the fastest same time or winning a race is someone can take that away from you but a world first you will always be the first person to ever have done that so i'm much more into that stuff and so yeah it just um it's not one that that interests what about running different different folks running across us i i got into it by accident some drunken uh bloody french foreign legion guy kept calling me up Saying, Chris, we march or die. We march or I die. I'm obsessed with the French Foreign Legion. Yeah. Obsessed with them. So I them. said, all right, we'll march or die, but you're paying for it. He went, yeah, no problem. I've got a big trucking company. So he was going to pay for us to go in the Marathon of the Sands. He said, friends at home, It's a, it's a, as you can see in the picture, it's a seven-day race across the Sahara Desert. Um, when I did it, it was 52 degrees heat. And a third of the people either collapsed or just like dropped out. And you run a, either a marathon or two marathons a, a, a day. And this guy was going to um, pay for it, Ali. <laughs> he said, oh, Chris, I'll, I'll send you like, you know, my CV. You'll, you'll want to know all about me. I'm like, no, that's, don't worry about that. I said, um, I said, you. Hang on a minute. Is it the French Foreign Legion? Well, you know, ex- ex- send people your CV when ex- you're the French Foreign Legion. Ex Legionnaire. But probably Is, are you allowed to tell people you're an ex-legionnaire oh there's loads of them we've had uh legionnaire on the podcast i try and Have get you? yeah i try and get a lot of them to come on but it, the thing is ali most of them it, almost every single one to a man that i've met bar one they left because they went awol because it was so shit that's it and if you got done that can't they come and chop your head off <laughs> yeah uh, or something apparently like that, anyway. i don't know if you get banned from france for your life or something but 
So I, he said, I said, no, don't worry about that stuff, mate. I said, I'll meet you on the start line. And if you're a knob, I'll just leave you behind. Um, and um, that was the thing. So I, I phoned up Sarah at the Marathon de Sables. I said, look, I know it's a three-year waiting list, but... Is it? It, it was a three-year... Yeah, it was a, before before the old, um, you know, Scovy. It was a three-year waiting list. But because of the lockdown, loads of people had pulled out. And she said, yeah, we've actually, I've actually got two places. So she gave me two places uh, under the proviso, obviously, we've got to pay for it. And uh, when I got tried to get back to this <laughs> French legionnaire, could I get hold of him? He would, his, his phone was just going to answer machine. His emails wouldn't, was no reply. I think the reality is that if you challenge me to do something, I'll just say, yeah, um, and do it. That was a bit much for him. So there I am. I've got these. I've got a ticket to the you know this iconic sort of race that I've watched Ben Fogel and the like do. Yeah. Uh, my neighbour once once ran it. He was in the Marines when, when he ran it actually. And um, so I spoke to my lovely girlfriend. I said, "Look, it, 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 I wouldn't have been that bothered if I didn't have a ticket. But now I've got a ticket. It just seems a shame to." not take this chance and maybe it's back to a waiting list next year or something. So she very kindly treated me to um, uh, a ticket and they're not cheap. No, no, like, no. It's ridiculously, it, it, it's, um, there was, I do, I was thinking, you know, for the seven grand all in that it costs you, you could probably like spend a grand, have a bloody decent holiday in Morocco and then go out running every day, which is. Yeah. And not have to sleep in a tent with a load of idiots. <laughs> yes. It's, um, I but, just think that it's just anyway. That's my opinion. My opinions on the MDS are very well known throughout the internet, so yes. I'm going to leave it there. Yes, it was an inter- interesting experience. Interesting experience. But yes, Ali, listen, um, love to have you back on the show. The reason I say that is I don't want to talk too long now because people will look at this podcast and go, "I'm not watching a two-hour podcast. I haven't got time," which is a shame because we've talked about such bloody beautiful, valuable stuff that I want everyone to look at it and go, "Oh, it's hour and a half." I've got time for that. So we'll have to get Listen you... Listen to it when you run. <laughs> there you go. Yes. Well, I do my podcast. I mean, I present a podcast every week and people, and it comes on a Saturday morning. Perfect for park run. Yeah. Where's park run? It's not there. People get upset. Podcasts go hand in hand with, with, with running because it really does sort of take your mind off things. Yeah. Or yeah. even you can do, you know... A little bit of education, two things for the price of one. You're doing your little, you run and you're somebody talking about running. Oh, on, on that note, I meant to ask you, I know music's very important to you. Is is what kind of music when you when you're running, or do you uh, not? Do you, you... I have a playlist called the Bailey Ultrasound System on Spotify. Anyone can find it. Uh, it's and it's literally everything from like Danny Bird, Old School Garage to it's got everything because I just I find listening to music that I absolutely love better than listening to the right beat type stuff. So yeah, that's uh, that playlist is absolutely banging, and the book has a song for every chapter that I wanted the chapter I worked in really important and again there's that brilliant Ali stay on the line just so I can thank you properly after this and take down the name of those books but for the purposes of the tape um, massive massive thank you for coming on the show sharing your enlightening story showing some hope out there friends as, as Ali said um, I always think it's funny because I suppose back in the day, half the problem for me was addiction was shameful. I don't think of it now because I wrote books about it. I think more in terms of like 
what it's done for me. Yeah, <laughs> and, and, and I like, think, do you know what? Go back to that language. Giving something up. You're addicted. You need to give something up. You're not giving anything up. You're 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 get you're gaining. Everything. Yes, it's about yes. Gaining. So I think that's where a language needs to change. Yeah. You're not giving anything up. You're gaining everything. And I have that written around my house. Do you everywhere? Ali, do you when you say you're a coach, are you a running coach, or do you coach people through life as well? Uh, oh well, it's very weird. I've actually just been nominated for Coach of the Year. At running, which I saw running. that. Yes, um, I, I was showing that on your I website. Do, I am a running coach. I, I train people how to run like really long endurance events, but I do it more holistically. So like, I'd say it's seventy percent, and then the rest of it, you need to get out and do your runs, your long runs. But what you think runs, like what's been holding you back? What's when you want to stop? Why do you want to stop? What are the thoughts that are going on? So we do a lot of brain work around it, like loads of brain work. And usually the people that come to me are already like I'm aware that I'm troubled by this thought I'm aware I've got a few people that are, are like I think I'm worried about my relationship with alcohol and I'm like great let's like crack on with that together so yeah it's a it's a much more holistic coaching thing than what's the best way people. if people want some support how can they get hold of you I put a link for your book um, friends li- website. link for the a... book is below link for link for Ali's Instagram is below the video yeah, so there's a it's DM me on Instagram, message me on there's a website, alibailey.co.uk. To be quite honest with you, I ate, I can't take and um and with what's happening to slim that down a little bit. But um there's a tour there'll be a tour next year, talk speaking tour next year. I'm at the National Running Show, got my little workshop area this year. And basically by February, if you are interested in running and you're on social media, you won't be able to avoid me. Brilliant. Brilliant. Ali, I'm glad it's all going so well for you. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Friends at home, thank you so much for watching the show. If I can just ask you once again, could you please like, subscribe and share? That would be great. If you want to consider buying one of my books, that would also um, that would also help the channel no end. If you need a spot of support and you would like to chat about coaching, inexpensive coaching, folks, I should add, send me an email through my website or through the information on YouTube. You can find find an email. And um, the last thing, I just want to give a special shout out to all our Patreons, uh, the people that support us on Locals or who have just become a YouTube channel member, all of which you can do for as little as $1.99 a month. And it helps me to host wonderful guests like Ali and hopefully support those people out there that uh, might need some support but also support the people that might not be struggling but might be wondering what their next challenge is in life and there you go it's to run 200 miles folks you heard it from ali <laughs> 200 miles this is the 100 miles apparently. Yeah. so brilliant yeah. much love to you ali and much love to everybody at home we'll see you all soon friends thank you for listening to the bought the t-shirt podcast Please like, subscribe and share and don't forget to follow me on social media. Username Chris Thrall. Instagram Chris.thrall. Thank you.